RLC founder Dave Evans spends time with partners, clients, and friends in the USA talking about all things business. If you are an inspiring business owner, an entrepreneur, a CEO, or a coach who wants real advice about what to do in business today and wants to hear frank conversations, then this is the show for you. Real life consultations, challenges, and ideas from all around the world. We hope you enjoy this episode of Consultivation. We are so excited uh, broadcasting from the back of this fabulous vehicle whose brand shall not be mentioned. Uh, I'm not hijacked in the back of a vehicle. I'm here by choice today whilst on the road to do, run a workshop uh, tomorrow. But here we are on Consultivation back with Kevin Turbill. Kevin, hello, sir. Hi, uh, hi, Dave. Is that a Range Rover, by the way? What's that? <laughs> Is that a Range Rover, by the way? <laughs> well, it's like James Corden singing in the car, isn't it? Uh, anyway, in a moment, I'm going to have to work out and use a speaker, I think. But uh, anyway, uh, we have a special guest with us today. Um, I hope the ticker is, is about right, Kev. What do you think? Oh, I think yeah. very special. Yeah. Yeah. Where, is, where is Kurt? i got to have a talk with Kurt. <laughs> <laughs> he did say you're a nice guy. Um, I wasn't so sure about it. So anyway... So, Vince, tell us a little bit about your story. Who are you? Where are you from? And what do you do? So, I'm um, born and bred in the beautiful, sunny state of Florida. Um, you know, uh, got into the accounting profession kind of through family ties, so, so to speak, right? My, my mother was a shareholder in the firm. Um, I really couldn't figure anything else to do in college, and it looked like fun. So... Got my master's degree in taxation, joined the firm, and then from there, it's just been, uh, I think because of my personality of always wanting to make change, always wanting to disrupt the status quo, we just started growing, acquiring, and you know, over the last, I don't want to say how many years because that ages me a little bit, but... Uh, you know, we've we've gone from a three-person firm to 50 people, four locations, multi-state, and yeah, you know, we're still looking for expansion and growth. And then throughout the you know throughout the years, there's been other business ventures. Uh, so I think Dave, you know, I I own a motorsports company, so we teach people how to drive exotic sports cars, which is a really fun you know really fun business venture. Yeah. And and then there's, you know, there's there's a few other just smaller, you know, smaller companies that kind of couple uh, couple along with the accounting firm. Wow. So did you always know what you wanted to be? I, I really do think somewhere it was probably somewhere the last year of high school, um, in all honesty, that I actually stopped and saw what my what my parent, what my mother was doing. I really liked numbers. I liked engaging people. Uh, and it just seemed like a logical choice for me to head into that route. So yeah, I think probably my last semester, uh, last couple of semesters of high school, I had pretty much figured out that it was gonna be an accounting and tax track. Wow, that's, and, and how did you, I know Kevin was gonna ask you this, how, how did you end up in a track business? <laughs> so I bought my first uh, Acura, or for those of you across the pond, Honda NSX in, I want to say it was 1997. 
And as I was pulling the car into my driveway, a neighbor comes running across the street and says, hey, my boss has one of those. You got to meet him. He's a really great guy. And so I happened to, to call up this individual. We went and met for dinner. We hit it off. We became great friends. And about 30 days later, he calls me up and says, hey, how would you like to go rent a racetrack? And I'm like, that's a great idea. We have no idea what we're doing. No idea how to, you know, how to pull this off. And so we called the the Seabreen racetrack, which is the home of the big uh, 24 hour uh, or sorry, the, tw the 12 hour race. And they at that point said, you know, we only rent to businesses. And so we like, well, we're a business. And they asked the name and we said Chen Motorsports. And so literally within like 10 minutes, I was online filing all the legal documentation and, you know, all the corporate paperwork to to make it a legit business. But that was kind of how it started. And and that was man, that was 21 years ago. And now that company is the largest track organization in the United States. So it's, uh, you know, it's it's grown from this little bitty hobby business to, you know, that has I think eight full-time managers in it and uh you know it's it's doing well so that's an amazing story so how today is going to work to make it a bit spicy i'm going to pull up a question and kevin's going to ask it and we're going to test run that in a second kev and then kev you can go as deep as you like with vince um in terms of what the answer is so kevin are you ready for the first one yeah yeah Okay, Vince, um, what makes your mindset, because you have got a unique mindset, I think, uh, which is something about juggling balls in, air and, in the air and being an innovator. Um, so what, what makes you tick? What makes your mindset? Yeah, it's funny. We had this conversation last night at dinner. I met with two other PASBA members, some buddies of mine from down south, and they asked almost this very question. And my lovely wife of 30 years was there beside me. And... Uh, I think she termed it as you're wired uniquely, uh, which really meant I think I'm a strange bird. So yeah. I, I'm not what we would consider the traditional CPA. I think my mindset or, or what drives me is I'm never happy with status quo. I'm never happy with, you know, I... I, I with what we're doing or the process that we're doing today, I think there's always a better mousetrap to be built. And so I'm trying to find that process. I'm, I'm trying to find that system uh, to make things easier, better, faster. Right. Do you know, do you know Vince, um, if I can just come in there, um, I don't come across many people like you uh, because what you just said is that you embrace change. In fact, you seek change and most managers that i come across most leaders they're scared of change they like the status quo they like it to be the way it always was if something disrupts the business like covid they want it to go back to the way it was and you're really unique in the sense that you look for new things to come out of that adversity I, I think a, well i think a lot of people are are there, there's a fear of failure and to me, I've always viewed failure as a learning opportunity, right? If I repeat it and I make the same mistake twice, well, okay, that's, that's bad on me. But to try something and have it not work, that doesn't mean that, 
that process failed. It just means that we have to adapt and we have to change and maybe modify a little bit of it. So I'm, I'm not afraid at all to take a risk. I'm not afraid to kind of put my, my neck out there. And if it doesn't work, it's okay. We just kind of go back to the drawing board and yeah, we're, we're ready to make the change again or, or, or make a change to see if we can make it work. If, if you guys are familiar with the disc assessment, the personality assessment. So, you know, most tax and accounting managers, most managers are generally very high in the S, which is the stable, um, personality trait, which is they don't like change. So, you know, most accounting managers score, I think we just lost Dave. Um, you know, most accounting managers score high up in that, you know, high eighties, nineties or a hundred. I think the last time I took the disc, I am a three. And I think that was a gracious number. Um, you know, uh, I, I think they gave that to me because I got my name right on the test. So I, you know, I truly am that kind of agent of disruption in the office, but it is what keeps us pushing forward. But it does, it does make you a quite a, quite a unique accountant, I think, uh, because you're right. Um, the accountants that I come across, they are in the kind of stable introvert um, kind of, you know, um, uh, psychodynamic and you are not. Uh, and, and I think that's all credit to you that you use that um, as a way of shaping your business and shaping your life. Um, uh, and I think it's 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 great. I love talking to you, uh, Vince. I don't think I've ever told you that before, but I love talking to you. Well, thank you. So, how do you find time for it all? Uh, you know, that was also a question last last night because the other two <laughs> managers were trying to figure out how how I did it. Um, I think part of what I do is I don't overanalyze. Yeah. You know, once, once again, I'm I'm pretty I'm a pretty heavy risk taker for the most part. So I don't have to formulate a plan, overanalyze it, review it, rewrite it. We come up with something I execute. And so I don't waste a lot of time in formulating and analytics and, you know, that whole uh, analysis paralysis. I don't typically deal with. I'll, I'll make the decision right or wrong. And if it's wrong, then we'll correct it. So that to me, I think enables me to get a lot done in a short period of time because I don't spend a lot of that analytical time behind it. But what you're actually saying is that you trust your gut, you trust yes. your instinct. Absolutely, and absolutely. I, and I actually think that is, you know, as as leaders grow older, the good leaders, the excellent leaders, stand out because they have that trait. They don't need the over analysis. They can say, yes, this is good. It can get us in trouble. You know, every now and again, we make a decision that maybe isn't the best decision. But as long as you're willing to jump in, own it, make the correction, move forward. And I think not shy away from making the next decision. You know, I, I, I think that's where a lot of people make a bad decision. They sit back and go, oh, I'm going to have to really think about this next one because I made a bad decision, you know, last week. I, I don't want to be in that position this week where me, it's more of like, eh, okay, I made a bad decision, chalk that up to experience, won't do that again. Let's just move forward and and continue to tackle the next objective. Right. It, it kind of goes back to that fear of failure, doesn't it? If you if you fail once and you've already got a fear of failure, you're going to have a triple you know, fear of failure for the next decision you have to make. 
but actually exactly. you've got to put them behind you and i think that's great so here's another um of dave's lowball questions um how do you fuel yourself you know how do you go, what do you feed on as a leader and a professional i am driven by my team i i love people um i love to see things working to make their lives better easier simpler faster so for me you know i'm i'm definitely not the guy that can work remote just just so you guys know that does not you know that does not bode well with my personality i want that contact i want to hear how things are going i want to hear that you know uh you know this is the best place to work and, and so i really do my fuel comes from them right that's a, that's a that's a great way of looking at it um there's many things that prompt from that but um the uh the thing that i'd ask is that uh, how do you keep that kind of attitude going when you're transitioning from a small business of you know a handful of people to an organization now over four offices with over 50 people in and the diff different businesses on the outside how do you keep that going uh, hence the struggle that I think we are having right now because they haven't perfected cloning. And I'm always afraid that if you guys saw the Michael Keaton movie, Multiplicity, I'm always afraid that I'll be the fourth clone, you know, which was, <laughs> which was the not so great clone. Um, where, you know, right, right now it is training people, training the team to try to take some of the jobs off of me that I think can be um, either they're repeatable projects or uh, someone maybe is better suited at the execution than I might be so that I can continue to to drive forward but not necessarily drive and execute it's right. and that's we're, we're I don't want to say we're stuck on that right now uh, but we are definitely taking uh, people on the bus and we are playing musical chairs trying to find right now who is best seated to be my right hand right right good important to get that sorted out i mean they do say vince that when you have an organization with 50 plus people um the dynamic is becomes really different because you don't know them all personally that's that's the key watershed in a, in a leader's um kind of career when you lead an organization that you it's simply impossible to know everybody and that is that's one of the challenges I am having personally because I do know my team. Uh, you know, I know their kids' names. I know about you know a lot of their personal life, and so not being able to engage as heavily um, that's that also is part of my kind of fuel suck, right? That's that's part of of the fuel for me is getting to know them and having that relationship that's a little different than you know just the thanks for showing up to work here's your paycheck uh so yeah. we, we we are struggling a bit with that as we've as we've grown but uh we've we do have a couple of ideas we've tossed around over the last couple of weeks and you know how maybe bringing in these these one or two extra uh, maybe like a chief operations officer uh to help take some of the uh you know some of the production related uh communication with the team maybe take that stuff off of my plate so i can still do the feel good uh portion right i used to i used to i used to run a 
um, a business unit with 1500 staff uh, reporting to me. And I always wanted one of those guys that you see on films that are, that are, that are behind the king or the queen, kind of saying, it's bad, he's got two daughters, and, he's, and his mum's not been very well. You're whispering in his ear. I always wanted one of those. So, Kevin, I, I'd like to ask Vince um, a very specific question um, uh, before we come back to this question that's on the screen. And that is, um, the question is, what do you no longer do that your younger self once did? Um, and I've got a banner as a clue. Um, not that I'm saying you've ever done this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you do less of that your younger self used to do? So about four years ago, my, my team told me that I needed to hire this guy from Scotland because um, I was driving my high S disc personality type people crazy uh, because yes, I uh, my, my younger self would literally make change just to make change because I could. And yes, it, it absolutely drove the tax and accounting managers. Uh, it's just, it drove them insane as Dave can attest to. So now we do have a framework I have. So I have a framework that I have to kind of live within. Um, I am still able to make changes, but now the changes are, everything is driven by the culture. Everything is driven by the why of the firm. You know, why are we in existence? Why do we do what we do? So my, I think my path is much more focused than I think before it was like shotgun to a dartboard where you know you're like hey i hit the 20 i hit the six i hit the four okay you know it, it might hit a bullseye if i'm lucky yeah where where now it's much more focused on hey we're going for that center ring we we know exactly what the firm is after we know exactly why the firm is in existence and i can still make a difference i can still have my personality and execute change but it's much more focused change and, I, and I, I really like the fact you reference the framework, but I also like the fact that you, you've you learned with us about, I was talking to Kurt about it earlier this week when we were recording his chapter from the book rewrite about evolution is daily and revolution is the future. Um, and what came out of the conversation is quite an interesting question. I think you've got quite good at this next question too, which is what's the what's the future revolution you desire that you can start as a simple evolution today. And and this is a pr the prerequisite, Kev, is we're getting rid of the word change. And we're taking the anxiety out of the arena and we're actually allowing people to work their way through it. So let, let's come back to uh, another question. Uh, now then, let's let's have a look, Kev. Are you ready for the next one, Kev? So wait for it a second. <clears throat> Okay, this is a this is a why, a why question. Uh, well, this is a many question. It's about belief, though, isn't it? Um, but do yeah. you believe, Vince, in what you're about from the inside out? So, how deep is your passion to be who you are? I think it at our level in the firm, our level of leadership. If we aren't sure who we are and we don't believe in what we do people are going to detect 
you as a fake and a fraud very quickly. Yeah. So yeah. if you're not sincere, you know, the uh, I, I, a long time ago, long time ago, one of my first jobs, you know, I had that boss that said hi to everybody and wanted to give you a hug, but you could tell it was that forced, you know, they just said hi to you because they knew they had to be civil, but they really didn't care about you. And you can detect that immediately. So yeah. for me, where I am, if I don't believe who I am, what I'm doing, it's hard for me to then get up and say, this is what we're going to do, or this is the progress, you know, don't call it change. This is the progress that we're going to make. Um, so yes, I, I, you know, I wholeheartedly believe in the direction that we are going. I wholeheartedly believe in the team. Um, and, and if it's somebody that you don't believe in, then it's probably the wrong person on the wrong bus Yeah. at that point. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. Um, I mean, uh, you know, Dave and I come across this all the time where people don't really believe in what they say they believe in. Um, you know, I, I have a client who, a lovely, very experienced guy, came from a big multinational running a, a, a not-for-profit in LA, but he was very thin-skinned. And, uh, and, you know, I spent an awful lot of time talking to him about the way he comes across in the organization because people detect that thin-skinnedness as a weakness because basically he couldn't take criticism um uh, it, justified or not um and and the non-justified criticism people kind of go what he, he, why why what was it why was his reaction like that and uh, and and what you do counts within an organization um and many a time when i've been talking about a problem internally i i specifically address the issue of um the the, the team's confidence in the leadership that if you don't solve this problem, you can have a problem with yourself being a leader. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, Dave, uh, Kevin, I don't I don't know if you're aware of this, but we acquired another firm out of state a couple of months ago. And so, you know, one of the promises that we made that team was I am much more active. I am much more involved in the practice than the prior owner. And, and that has become, you know, to the team that's there, that has become very clear over the last four or five months. I mean, things like, I, I, it's funny, the responses I get, they're like, wow, you answered my team's message within like 30 seconds. You know, it would have been five days before the prior owner, you know, answered the message. And I'm like, I, I told you guys, this is, you know, we believe in this, this structure, this format. And part of that is me being involved in it. Right, right. Um, I, I think I, I think I've coached one of the members of that team. <laughs> I think you have. I think I have. So, Vince, do you compare yourself to others, and if so, who? Man, so I am super competitive to a fault in most cases. So, I, I don't think I necessarily compare myself to others, but. I am always setting that bar and trying to break that bar. Um, you know, I, I gave up trying to compare myself to this Scottish guy that's been out biking me for the last year and a half. But, uh, you know, out, outside of that, no, I, I, I really don't think I do compare myself to others, but I do have a really high bar or a high threshold set for me. And yeah. I'm just constantly trying to break that, you know, break that goal. 
I'm, I'm curious, Vince. Um, you know, you're a, to me, you are um, an important player in your industry and in business in general. Um, what do you think of your position as a kind of thought leader or opinion leader? And do you take to it easily? I actually think that's one of the hardest things that I've had to adjust to is going from, you know, starting in the industry as a production related person where you could just produce work, move on, you know, um, you, you didn't have to, yeah. yeah, you didn't have to take problems home or you didn't really have to find solutions. And, and now, especially for our industry, uh, you know, I, I do think that over the last couple of years, you know, we have made uh, we've we've actually made some significant increases in efficiencies. We've made uh, or created some products that I think are going to be game changing for the uh, for the learning of new hire employees. And that part, I think, Kevin, that you know, I had to have my time, my creativity time. Um, and, and that I think has been the hardest part for me to find that where am I best because I don't disconnect well, I'm, I'm not the guy that goes on vacations and can just sit on the beach and do nothing. Um, to, to me, going on vacation, sitting on the beach with a laptop and being creative, that's relaxing to me. You know, I, I actually get to see something, uh, there, there's a product that develops out of that uh, refresh time. So to, I, I think over the last couple of years, that was a very hard lesson to learn to become that thought leader or progress into that realm. And, I, and, and Dave, I mean, I, I will, yeah, I'm gonna pat you on the back for this. I think you guys helped me transition from where I was to yeah being a little more of that of that leader role um and, and it's still man it's still a work in progress because i gotta admit this is the one thing i'm probably not that great at and i have to constantly train myself to be a better leader so i'm gonna ask you another question that's a really good answer uh, to kevin's question and i i'd like i'd like us to look to the future a little bit you know um I, I think we're living in a time where we need new leadership, you know, not necessarily for today, but in the future future. And tomorrow's kids are going to show us how to do it without a doubt. Um, but in the meantime, what, you know, you started a track business from an idea with a guy with a car and that's extraordinary. Your firm is, in, is, is growing. What What's your go-to number one bit of advice for a young entrepreneur who's looking to get an idea off the ground or, or maybe just feels like they don't have a clue what would you tell them wow for that i think i've got to go back about 30 years because i don't think it's ever changed when when i first entered this profession i can remember my employer um one of the nicest guys in the world set me down and said the world's yours if you work hard enough and that has always stuck um, his, his lessons, cause at that time I was, you know, I was a high school kid working at a gas station and he told me, be the best gas station attendant that you can ever be. When you get to your next job, be the best that you can be, learn everything that you can learn, 
you know, and then try to make adjustments and improvements. And, and I think that's always stuck. So my number one bit of advice is, you know, work hard, be the best that you can at what you are. It doesn't come easy. It's not handed to you. You know, you've got to work to make your your company or your business successful. Right. Do you think that's uh, just thinking about the whole kind of millennial boomer Gen Z debates? Do you think the younger generations kind of embrace that? Because it's very much a kind of baby boomer type, you know, classical kind of work ethic answer. Um, and I'm and I'm with you 120%. By the way, but do you think the millennials and Gen Zs kind of embrace that? I, you know, we have hired pretty much every age group at this point. I, I have multiple generations in this office. So we have Gen Z all the way to traditionals. And I think it's the person, not the generation. Right. Because I have baby boomers and Gen Xers who in the past have not been great leaders or great team members. And I have a couple of Gen Z's and millennials right now that are some of the best team players and, and I'll call it company people that, I, that we've ever had. But I think somewhere that's ingrained in them that, that this is, you know, this is what they have to do. They're not, you know, they do want, I, I think this new generation does want a different work-life balance than maybe what we did 30 years ago. You know, when I first joined this profession, I mean, we worked and and my wife reminded me this last night when we were at dinner you know she's like the first 10 years i never saw you you know i literally went to work at seven i came home by midnight during tax season we were in at saturday for the same time frame sunday after church you went in and you worked till 10. so you worked 80 85 hour work weeks because that was all you knew and when we had our first or we adopted our first child she kind of drew that line in the sand and said i'm not going to be a single parent you got to figure this out. And yeah, so that was yeah. kind of the start for me to say, man, there's, there's got to be a better way to do this. And so we fired half of our accounting clients at that point that were not profitable or were just not fun to deal with. And we literally rebuilt the firm in 2001. And within 18 months, we were bigger than we were before we fired the clients. Um, but we were starting to build the firm in a in a manner that made sense for me to actually have a life outside. So all of those, I think all of those sacrifices that we made in the early years, you can talk to any team member on, you know, on my offices. We don't work those crazy hours during tax season. I don't want them working those hours during tax season, right? I want them home with their family. Enjoy that, you know, in, enjoy that home life. Now, when you're here, I want you to work, right? Yeah. You're here. I want you to put in 40 hours. Um, but outside of that, go play, have fun, enjoy both sides of your life so that there is some some decent balance. And and I think from the Gen Zs and the millennials, I I do believe that we just have to play a little bit more onto their side of they've seen their parents working the 80 hour work weeks and hit retirement and die within a year and they don't want to follow those steps so they want to live life while they're pushing through 
And I think we have to adapt the way that we think and the way our the way our business works or our model yeah. works to accommodate that. You know, it's interesting because um, uh, our youngest son the other day said, um, "I don't want to be a slave to a big organization." Um, but he's also quite happy to wrap his head around a cause, um, whatever that cause is. And I, I think the mutual ground from from him saying that as a 20 year old to what you've described today is that is accepting there's a different way, isn't there, Vince? It's a di there's yeah. a different way. And we just got to be open to figuring out what it might be. And it might change every year. But if, if we get it right, because I, you know, I, you made me think about you don't go to the gym to have a coffee till after the workout, hopefully. Um, you know, not necessarily go there just to watch the football, um, although many people do. So it's that it's that reality check that, yeah, how do you teach them to go at the level your business needs and at the same time make that agreement? Not exchange, Kevin, isn't it? It's no longer an exchange. It's an agreement between you that both sides are committed to both parts of people's lives. But yeah, going back, I'm sorry, on, Kevin. So going back to Kevin, Kevin, something you said earlier, you know, most managers don't like change, right? Yeah. Most most leaders don't like change. And so if they're not willing to look at how where their practice or where their where their business is today and make those adjustments, right? Stop thinking Sally, same as last year, right? Stop thinking yeah. that the way we've always done it is the only way to do it look for other possibilities. I think there's a great workforce out there. You know, there's there's Gen Zs and millennials that are great team members. You just have to alter, you know, our concept of how of how a business model functions. Right. I think I think you there were wise words you said a minute ago, um, Vince, that uh, look at the the individual as an individual, not as a generational member. 100 um, percent. Yeah, because they've just they have you know individually they've got different views of things, um, right. and I think that's a really interesting, good perspective. So a great conversation this week on conservation with the fabulous Vince Howard from Howard Howard and Hodges, and the track business to die for, but no dying is taking place in this description, and also all round nice guy according to Kurt Rigoff, which will of course I'm sure be investigated next week um at the nashville conference that uh, vince may or may not be going to anyway either way let me just say vince love the conversation thank you for your insights my friend and your time thank you guys for having me kevin mr turbo always good to have you as the vp of our consult and of course rlc president of la rlc and all the other things that you get to do in your diverse life sir well, it's always a pleasure to be here. And I did actually have one question for Vince, which you may, Dave, have a view on this, but you may not. And that okay. is, Vince, you know I come from a, an automotive background. I worked for uh, Ford and Nissan and Mercedes in my checkered career. Um, and you mentioned Acura to begin with, that you had an, an NSX, you know, there was Honda over here. Yes. Why, do you think, why do you think the luxury brands of Nissan, the Infiniti and um uh, the honda the acura why did they fail in europe or never even got launched in many respects i i think it was just the north american market that right honda at that time right think about think about the the early to mid 80s 
the way the United States or North America viewed Honda was that little bubble Honda Civic, right? It was a economical, throwaway, cheap car. And so when they came out with their, you know, with their flagship sports car, they came out with the NSX, which was going to have a sticker price at that time of, you know, seventy, eighty thousand dollars. Who in their right mind was going to pay seventy or eighty thousand dollars for a Honda? Uh, but, but it was good, as, as good as a Ferrari, though. Absolutely, absolutely. Actually, it yeah. was the first modern sports car that was reliable you could literally yes. take it to the racetrack drive it all day long on the racetrack and then take your wife out to dinner that evening in it and it you know it was a honda through and through i think it was only a really it was our market because of the perception of the brand where in europe you had honda you had nissan you had the, you know these brands were known for other than just the Honda Civic, you know, it was it was not just that little bitty, inexpensive disposable vehicle. Yeah, yeah. I think also in Europe, um, you know, you know, BMW, Mercedes, and Audi had a much bigger profile over here, so there already were luxury cars. Correct. Whereas, kind of, they all came into the U.S. almost at the same time as the premier brands of the Japanese companies came in. And so there was more of an equal playing field. Um, but thank you for that. I'm interested in your thoughts on anything automotive. No, that was that was a great question, Kevin. And I think uh, Vince and you handled it superbly. So if you've been watching Consultivation or listening to this episode today, we've been talking to Vince Howard, who's told us lots of great things, ranging from his story to how well he's liked, to what he focuses on and how he prioritizes his people in his business, no matter what happens. What we do know is, is that he's got a unique mindset of finding out with curiosity whether you can do things. And he spends all of his effort on ignoring the T and deleting it, Kevin, isn't he? In most things he attempts to do. The one thing, Vince, as we close the show, I think I'd like to let the listeners know that you still do, and I hope for years to come you'll still do. And that is this, you never lose the need to learn and you learn as many times as you can. And I, I think I admire that in you. And I think it's probably gonna be the thing that's gonna continue your journey growing and all the things that are going on. Um, because that's the one thing people often forget at your stage in business, that the learning has to carry on. Because the moment you think you reach any type of pinnacle, the only option left on the table is of course, erosion, which can then become terminal. So good effort on the learning front. And once again, chaps, Thank you for your time as part of Consultivation. I've been Dave Evans. Every success for your learning. Thank you for listening to Consultivations, brought to you by RLC Global, helping you become a best version business. If you want any help from the conversations in the show today, please reach out to info at rlc-global.com and one of our team would be delighted to talk with you. Go to rlcglobal.group for more information and free content designed to help you.